Welcome to Truth Encounter. Our study leader, Dave Wordson, the pastor of Midlothian Bible Church, is teaching from Ephesians 1, 10-14. The news is almost too good to be true, and the best part is that God has already put down His down payment. What is it? Can you know in the present that in the end everything will turn out okay for you? Who's going to end up at the center of God's plans? These are the questions the Apostle Paul answers for us as he brings his doxology of praise to the Father to a close. I don't know about you, but Mary will tell you that when I loan out books, they get lost all over creation. See, I go to Dallas Theological Seminary, and what I do is I get a great big book like this. This is Dave Lowry's boss, Harold Honery. He spent about the last 30 years, since I was in class with him, he's been writing a book on Ephesians, and his family's been suffering through it, and this is the big big volume that he came out with. And what I do is I go and purchase this thing, and I forget, it says at $43.99, so that's a big hefty price, okay? And what I do is somebody comes to my office, and they see it up on the shelf, and they say, man, I need to borrow that, so I loan it out, and no one knows who it belongs to. So one Christmas, Elaine McWhorter went out, and she got me this. This is a seal. And if I use this seal, what it means is when you borrow my book on Ephesians, you open up here and right there it says the library of DBW, David Booth, that's my middle name, Booth Wurtson. Carlton Booth was, a, was my dad's songwriter. So it's not John Wilkes Booth that killed <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. It's Carlton Booth, okay? But DBW, it's the library. And what that means is that when you pick this book up that you borrowed from me, 15 years later, when you're cleaning out your shelf, you look up there and you look at the seal right there and you know, uh uh-oh, this belongs to David. Okay? That's what a seal does. We use seals in many ways, and this is one of the ways in the modern world that we put a seal upon something that belongs to us. And that was true in the first century, and it's true today. And I want to talk to you about God has sealed you. And he does it not with just a metal seal. He does it with the living person of his Holy Spirit. That's one of the things we're going to learn today. That the moment that you invited Jesus into your life, and if maybe some of you will do that today, if you do that, the moment that you do that, Jesus will come to live in your life The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And today in Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to learn that he's a seal. So I want you to remember that. So that's the first thing I want you to think of. The other illustration I want you to think of that the Apostle Paul is going to use in his passage today. And I'm trying to help you. When you read the Bible, he's not talking about stuff you can understand. It's not talking about stuff you never deal with. You've all gone hunting for couches. Let's suppose you're going to look for a leather couch. Mary and Dave are hunting for a leather couch to be in our living room, all right, our den, okay? So we hunt all over the area. We go to Haverty's. We go to maybe Sharp Furniture. We go to, you pick out your favorite furniture store, okay? We go through all of Haverty's, and, man, we look at all these couches. Finally, we settle into this great big soft leather. Man, it's finished. Man, we sink in. It's really comfortable. And, man, this is the couch. This is the couch we want to possess. This is the couch we want to come and live in our house and be our possession, okay? But when the salesman comes out with the price, it's too high. And we've just gotten our kids ready for school. You know, we're in our skivvies and our kids are wearing brand new jeans and we're not going to recover from this for several weeks. 
And so I say, Mary, I'm really sorry. We just can't handle it right now. So we walk out of the store and, you know, we're not going to get the leather couch. But I sneak in a couple days later and I take out my checkbook and I write a check and I put 10% down. Now, what does that mean to Haverty's? What it means is that I put 10% down. That's a down payment. And what that means is that they're not going to sell the couch. I'm not going to lose the couch. The couch is going to make it. So when it comes Christmas morning, when Mary comes out, if I've handled this all just right, I've snuck this leather couch in, and now I've made the full payment, but the down payment that I make in September certifies and guarantees that the couch is going to be mine and Mary and I are going to be able to enjoy it. We call that a down payment. And all of you in this room have made it. What I want you to learn is two things this morning. One is God has made a down payment in your life if you receive Jesus. And number two, I want you to learn that God has sealed you. And you say, well, Dave, where does all this come from? How do you know? Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, we've been setting together, beginning with verse 3, and we came through Paul's blessing. The Apostle Paul, as he begins to write to Ephesian believers, they're, they're believers like yourself, he gets so excited, he gets so cranked up about the incredible things that Jesus has done. And one of the things that, that hurts me about the way some children hear about Jesus is someone's constantly telling you, you know, they're crying at you, they're yelling at you, and you need to serve Jesus, you need to live all your life for Jesus. And, and often I feel like stepping back and say, well, why don't you tell me why I should live my life for Jesus? Because the, the Jesus that you talk about, man, who would ever want to live for him? He's boring, and, he, and he's always taken all the fun out of life and all the good things. He doesn't let you do anything. Because I evaluate what you're telling me about this Jesus. I don't want to have anything to do with them. It's always important to ask yourself, what kind of a Jesus are you hearing about? Some of you might be turning away from Jesus, and you think it's a biblical Jesus. And to be honest with you, you've never learned anything about the real Jesus. You don't know him at all. You got a totally false view of what the real living king that we've been praising. There's a reason why we sang praise to him today. And Paul just busts into praise. And the first thing he says is, because God the Father has things planned out. And Paul comes back to that theme. Some of you are sitting here and you're trying to figure life out. You know, some of you listen to Rosh Limbaugh, and man, you get through listening to him, and you go, oh, goodness, man, you know, what are we going to do? And, and, and boy, he's pushing the conservative cause, and I hope that wins. And then some of you that are liberal, turn and go, oh, no, I want the other side to win. And you're wondering, like, what in the world ever go on? And, and some of you have kids that are over fighting the war against terror, and you remember, man, you hear the media telling you, like, life since 9-11. It's like when the Twin Towers came down, life will never be the same again. And now your life is filled with fear and, and what's going to happen now and it used to be so peaceful and so secure and now it's so filled with terror. Brothers and sisters, the question there is where in the world is history going? Where in the world is history going? And every one of you should answer that question today. Where in the world is history going? And then you should ask yourself, where in the world is my life going? If you think the purpose in life is for things to be secure and things to be safe, and for there never to be any battles and wars, I got news for you, that 9-11 didn't change anything. In fact, let me just give you a little bit of history lesson, just quick. Stay with me, I know a lot of you don't like history, but let's suppose I was Jonathan Edwards, okay? And I'm speaking in Northampton, it's in western Massachusetts, near Albany, New York. 
Jonathan Edwards is well worth reading. He's one of the great colonial preachers, really anointed by the Spirit, really believed in Jesus. But you know, when Jonathan Edwards preached to you, like the congregation like you, they would leave their church, and if the kids wandered too far away from home that week, an Iroquois Indian might grab them and scalp them. Because they were right in the middle of the French and Indian War. You read Jonathan Edwards' memoirs, he talks about the French and the Iroquois right in the woods, right near them, and the war going on because the French and Indian War. Wasn't that a time? No, just total security, no danger. That was your country before the Revolutionary War. Let's suppose we come to the Revolutionary period. Suppose we're coming to church in the Revolutionary period. It was such a peaceful period. We would have had a great big argument in our midst about whether we're going to support England, whether we're going to support this new fledgling country. Our whole congregation probably would have divided over that. And then a lot of our men would have gone, and some of them would have, you know, been fighting battles. And if we were down south, we would, some of you would have been with Swamp Fox, and you would have been trying to do guerrilla warfare. Just exactly what's happened in the world now. Only that was the Revolutionary War 200 years ago. It wasn't a time of peace. It wasn't a time of security. Believers like you had to decide what's the meaning of life. You know, where is everything going? Things weren't safe and secure. Let's move up into modern times. On Wednesday, Tom and I meet together at 8 o'clock. There's always a dear man that comes in. You've probably seen him in Caroline's. He comes in. His, his legs have been amputated. He comes in the door in a, wheel, a, a wheelchair, automated wheelchair. And he loves to stop at our table. And he, he's a World War II vet. And he loves to tell me about the battles in Italy. He likes to tell me about going up through the vineyards and up through the mountains. And he talks about fighting the Germans in Italy. Boy, that was really a safe, secure time, wasn't it? All of you that are from the World War II age, Twin Towers, that's a terrible, terrible thing. One of the worst sights you'll ever see. 3,000 people mowed down and just gone in just split seconds of time. But what about the Battle of Midway? You know, what about the Battle of the Bulge? What about Winston Churchill in London when the, the Nazis, the, the German air, the Luftwaffe, is just destroying the city, and all of you as Londoners are down on the, in the underground in London praying and asking God to forgive you. Was it a time of safety and security? Brothers and sisters, verse 10 tells us where history is going. And I want you to know this. I'm going to share something with you. There's never, never, never going to be a time of safety and security when there won't be wars and rumors of war until until something really special happened. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, To be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. The Bible's telling you, the Apostle Paul is saying, when I ask the question, well, where is time going? Paul says, it's going towards a time of fulfillment. And I say, well, what is that time of fulfillment? It's to bring all things in heaven... So God's program not only involves things happening on the earth, but everything happening in the universe, even the spiritual realm that he rules over. Everything in heaven and earth is going to be brought together under one head. There's going to be one ruler. There's going to be one governing authority. There's going to be one king. You know what his name is? He tells us, even Christ. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that what the Bible's teaching us is that Jesus Christ is not just one of the prophets, He's not just a great teacher, although he is. He's not just a good person to tell you how to live. But I got news for you. Jesus Christ is the ultimate goal of history. And I want you to think about that. I want you to live like that. I want you to believe it. 
The incredible thing is that the Lord God, God the Father that created this earth, is saying that Jesus, his son, that came here 2,000 years ago, that died for you on Calvary, that rose again, that same Jesus, this is the bedrock of our faith. One day, when all the armies have marched, and all of the battles have been fought, and when all the terror has taken place, one day, you don't have to be afraid, because Jesus, the fullness of time is going to come. And Jesus, with nail prints in his hands and wound in his side and prints in his feet, is going to stand up and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord. You say, well, Dave, what does it have to do with us? Because right now it has a lot to do with you. Because the issue is, okay, not only where is time going, but what about my life right now? What's my place in this? And a whole lot of you are sitting there going, man, my life is nothing and... You know, maybe I turned 12 years of age and suddenly my whole faith breaks out with acne and I got pimples all over the place and I'm ugly and, and nobody ever likes me and hates me and I'm totally insignificant. And what part do I have in that? I'm always left out. We can feel that way. Some of you that are growing older, that, you know, you're in your company and your business has left you behind and the new young Turks have come in and they're taken over and you feel like it's all meaningless, it's all empty. My life hasn't accomplished anything. I want you to listen to me. The Apostle Paul says that when the fullness of time has come, if you've received Jesus into your heart and you have trusted him, you're not going to be out there on the outskirts somewhere. You're not going to be the forgotten part of his family. You are going to be right at the center of the glory and the radiating you know, praise that comes to Jesus. You're going to be right in the center of that. You say, Dave, what are you talking about? Look at the next verse. Look at verse 11. It says, in him, that's in Jesus, we. The we there is those of us that have received Jesus into our heart. We'll find that out in just a minute why I say that. Even in him, in Jesus, we also were chosen. That's referring back to what God the Father did, even before there was creation. Having been predestined according to the plan of the him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Some of you get really uptight and wondering, like, everything's by chance. Nobody has a plan. And what this verse is saying, it's saying that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit have met in council together. It pictures them doing that. It pictures them wisely planning out the way things will be. And they, it says that they are fulfilling the purpose. I want every one of you to know. The Bible doesn't say that every single thing that happens is good, that it's a perfect expression of the will of God. But what it teaches is that when you all the details come together, it'll be God's story. It'll be the purposes that God meant to accomplish. That's what it means. God works all things together for good. It's a very important idea. If you're in science today, if you don't believe in Jesus, like I was a chemistry major for many years, and that's what I did in university, and the basic, what we call cosmology, or the viewpoint toward the world is this, that you're here by chance. Everything is just probabilities, and we don't know how it's going to turn out. Everything is open-ended. And if you're living like that, then you ought to be scared. Because you have no idea how it's going to end up. Terror might win. The whole world might turn cold. And in other words, in fact, one of the things that what totalitarians will do is scare, the, scare you to death. Because they'll constantly tell you about one crisis after another. And because you're scared, you'll believe the whole thing. Because you don't think there's any rhyme or reason. How do I know how all this comes out? How do I know how it's all going to turn out? And the Apostle Paul wants to come to you as his brothers and sisters in Christ and say, I want you to feel safe. I want you to feel secure. You live in a dark world, 
but it's headed towards a culmination when Jesus will rule. And God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are working out every single detail of your life, of your church life, of your school life, of your business life, and it's all going to come together for the praise of his glory. As I look back over my life, I could have never guessed the twists and the turns and where choices would lead. But you know, when you look back over it, when, like I decided a young man, I'm going to let Jesus be the one that's my Lord. I'm going to let him guide me. I'm going to just obey him and do what he tells me to do. And boy, does he write a great story. That's what I covet for every one of you. The scripture is saying that he has already planned. He's already purposed. You live in a pre-plan. He works out everything in a conformity with the purpose of his will. Now, this is the reason he does this. And this is what's so incredible. Look what it says in verse 12. In order that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. I want to ask you, what are you hoping in? He said, Dave, what do you mean by that? What you're hoping in is right now, what are you living for? What are you looking forward to? And every one of you have some things, unless you're totally depressed, that you're looking forward to, okay? So I want you to think right now what you're looking forward to. Paul is telling you, ultimately, you want to be looking forward to Jesus. And there's something really important. That's not a downer, it's an upper. What it means is, if you're looking forward to Jesus, that's a hope that's not going to ever end for you. Okay? But in your life, every other hope, the way that life is, every other hope will be taken away. Every other hope runs out of gear. In other words, like last night, I married a young couple. And man, that's a great hope. I mean, they're, you know, they're excited and now they're going to have kids. So now they're hoping you know, that they'll be fruitful and multiply. They have little kids. And that's a great hope. It's a great part of life. But you know what? There's going to come a time when all those little kids that they hoped for are going to leave home. And if they're boys, they might not call home very often. They're girls. Have girls. They call home a lot. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? Like if, if Mary and I, our whole hope in life was to have babies and to raise our kids, then our hope is over. But you know what? It isn't, because it's not just that. When the hope of Jesus is in place, then you can take the next joy, the next gift, but you're not counting on it. Some of the high school kids, like right now, like some of the college kids, like when I started my first year in college, I've shared this with you. Man, my hope when I went away to college was, man, I want to play quarterback for the football team. That was my big hope. I've told you that. After my second year, after having headaches all Sunday until it was time to go to church, I said, this is stupid. And so I didn't do that anymore. I, I was a chemistry major. I needed to study, so I totally dropped that. So if all of my hope, like some of the, like you can think back to your old days in high school, some of the young people here, some of you guys here, your whole hope when you were in high school was in athletics. Well, think about your life right now. It's run out of gas. That's not what your life is anymore. If you have Jesus... If you have Jesus, then you don't mind getting a little bit slower. You don't mind not being the top of the pile in athletics. It's all right. You can enjoy it. But if that's your whole reason for living, I've got a friend that he lived for athletics. He played for the Dallas Cowboys. Then he played for the Atlanta. Then he found out he had one kidney and he couldn't ever play football again. And it ruined his life. He drank till it was it destroyed his liver. And he's, he received Jesus into his heart. So he's home with Jesus but his life lost its hope from a human perspective. That's why what I'm telling you about it is so important because Jesus is saying in this text, Paul is saying, those who hope in Jesus have some really special treasures. And the next verse goes on and tells you, 
If you hope in Jesus, it's going to cause you to live your life just to bring glory to him. It's not about you anymore. You don't have to be recognized. You don't have to be praised. Everybody doesn't have to understand you. All you start to care about is, I just want Jesus to be honored. Boy, what a liberation that is. That's the most incredible thing in your job. All I care about, Jesus says, I do my job. I just want you to be honored. It's not about me anymore. Not about my promotion. Not about what I can do, what I can't do. Not about money coming in. Lord, I'm going to live this life. I want to do this job. And Jesus, I want you. When I get done with this day, I want you to be honored. Now, that might sound like a little idea. But brothers and sisters, that sets you free to live just simply for people to praise Jesus. Let me tell you concretely my own life. Like some of you are scared to death to talk. Everyone is saying, Dave, how in the world do you ever get up and talk? Well, a lot of preachers do this for a long time, and, and it's, it's horrible. They never get out of themselves. They're reading their thing, and I'm sitting there going, man, what in the world is going on? You know, it's boring. You're not connecting with me. They're thinking about themselves. How will the congregation like me? Will they keep paying my salary? Will I have enough to feed my little babies? Will I be able to keep a roof over my head? I need to be sure to say the right thing on Sunday morning so that people will keep coming to church. I want to be sure that they, that, that they think I'm good at it. That's paralyzing. You know what frees you up? Lord, just honor yourself. When I get done, what I want people to say is, man, the Holy Spirit helped me to see Jesus. Somebody comes to me and says, man, Jesus spoke to me today. That's all that counts. Do you know how liberating that is? That, that can be liberating for you. It's all for his praise. It's all for his glory. I want to close by telling you that the Lord's given you an incredible gift to make all that be able to slowly but surely become a reality in your life. And it's here in this next verse. It's just incredible. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, And you who are included in Christ, this is verse 13, when you heard the word of truth, remember when you heard the gospel, maybe for the first time when it clicked. Remember when you heard about Jesus? It says you hear about Jesus, and then it says that you did something with it. You believed it. And that word belief means that you decide, I'm gonna, I heard that, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust in that. I'm going to believe that it's true. That's what it means to believe. It means I'm going to rest in that. I'm going to believe Jesus told the truth, and I believe he did die for me. He told me that he rose again, and he told me that if I, if I trusted him, that he would give me eternal life. Now, if you have done that, it's not important that you know the exact time. A lot of you might know that, but like to be honest with you, I don't know the exact time when I was five years of age. I know it was a Sunday morning. I know my dad was speaking, but I don't know whether it was August or July. And, you know, the Lord knows, but it, I don't know. But I do know that I heard the gospel and I trusted it. Now, what happened when you do that? Paul tells the Ephesians something incredible. It says, having believed, you were sealed, you were marked in him, the NIV says, or you were sealed in him with the promised Holy Spirit. This is what happened. I want all of you to listen to me. The moment that you invited Jesus and trusted him, you invited him to your life, you know what God did? God took his seal and he put it on your life. And it's not like a, a cruncher like this. It's not a piece of metal. But God's living Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. Do you understand that the third person of the Trinity lives inside of you? That Holy Spirit helped me do math in my freshman year in college. I'm serious. That Holy Spirit helped me play quarterback and throw passes. That Holy Spirit helped me hold Jonathan when he had spinal meningitis all night long when I thought he was going to die in my arms. That Holy Spirit was right there with me. That Holy Spirit's helped me when I get angry and, and it's called me back home 
and back into gentleness and back into patience. The Holy Spirit sealed me when I was five years of age. And you know what? He's still in my life. How about you? The second thing Paul says here is that you are not only sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is God's deposit, God's down payment, guaranteeing, guaranteeing our inheritance. Our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You know what Paul is saying? He's saying this. God, the moment you received Jesus as your Savior, he not only sealed you, but God took out his checkbook and said, I'm putting a down payment on this person's life. And God wrote out his check. And one of the things he wrote out is paid in full by the death of my son. Jesus paid it all. Totally forgiven. That's one of the things he wrote out. But you know what else he wrote? He didn't just write a simple check, but he sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of you. And brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit comes into our life and he manifests himself in many different ways. Some of us, he manifests himself in praise. Some of you have very emotional experiences. Some of you have, have really dynamic. Some of you are more the engineering types and you just know it's true. But I want you to know that based upon the word of God, Paul said if you hear the gospel and if you trust in it, then you have God's seal on your life and he becomes the first fruits and life will never be the same again. You say, Dave, what does that mean? You know what? It means that you become God's possession. I want every one of you that have received Jesus as your savior, I want you to feel as you leave this auditorium, I belong to Jesus. I did a wedding last night and one of the really cool times in a wedding is... When you get all done having them say their vows, we say that in God's special covenant with us, he uses reminding tokens. He talked about baptism. He talked about communion. But in marriages, we use this. It's a wedding ring. On a cold, wintry night in Nebraska, Mary and I exchanged rings. And I was sealed. You say, Dave, what does it mean? Like, I often travel, and I've done that for years and years. In fact, I traveled pretty soon after we were married because I was speaking and teaching back then. When I get in an airplane, sit next to somebody, they look at that finger, and you know what? They know who I belong to. Mary wears a ring as well on her ring finger. And everywhere she goes, every man that comes in contact with her can just look at that finger. In fact, some of you remember your immoral days. Some of the guys that I've worked with in Calvary, remember a guy in California, he would look for the ring finger. And he would look for it because sometimes people, when they want to be immoral, take off. The seal. They take off the signet. They take off the sign because they don't want to realize that I belong to somebody. Brothers and sisters, rings and seals are really important. You know what God did? When you invited Jesus to come to your heart, God sealed you. And God said, just as certainly Mary is my possession today, and I am her possession. That's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's what men or kids had a mom and dad that they could trust, that they could be secure with. And brothers and sisters, that sense of possession, what I want you to understand, just like a husband possesses his wife, and a wife possesses her husband, and they have a sign, the Holy Spirit in your life this morning says, God the Father, God the Son says, this one is mine. One day, if Jesus were to come back today, you're not going to be on the outskirts somewhere. You're going to be right at center stage. And Jesus is going to put his arms around you, millions of you. And he's going to say to the universe and to the angels, he said, these are mine. These are mine. 
These are my precious possessions. This is the apple of my eye. This is the love of my heart. That's what Paul is telling you. That's why we want little kids to love Jesus. That's why we want teenagers to love Jesus. That's why we want young adults to love Jesus. For more information on materials available through Truth Encounter, please write to us at Truth Encounter, Box 580, Midlothian, Texas, 76065, or you can contact us on the web at www.truthencounter.com. Be sure to register to receive Dave's Daily Devotional on our website or check us out on Facebook.